You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Welcome back to The Way Home Podcast, friends. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. I hope you're enjoying this season a podcast where we're focusing on really, I think, the way that we use our words and the way that we interact online. But before we join our conversation, I'd like to tell you about two things. First, my book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good, is available. I'd love for you to uh, get that. You could order it at your favorite retailer, whether uh, in person or online. If you'd like more information, you can go to awaywithwordsbook.com. If you do buy the book and you enjoy it, or if you've read it, would you please be kind and uh, write a review on a place like amazon.com or other places so others can know about the book. Secondly, I'd love for you to check out my newsletter that comes out a couple of times a month. It's called One Little Word, and uh, this is where I share kind of exclusive content, writing on things like history, leadership, politics, scripture, all kinds of things. I also update folks on my latest projects and kind of what I'm reading. So go to my website, danieldarling.com, and sign up for One Little Word. Today, I'm excited to have back on the podcast someone who's been on here several times before, and when I say that Trevin Wax is a friend. I'm saying that he's a dear friend and a close friend and someone whose work and writing and ministry I've really followed for a long time. Trevin is back with an important new book, and I always tell people, uh, always read Trevin Wax. His book is called Rethink Yourself, The Power of Looking Up Before Looking In. You know, there's a lot of influences today helping us try to find our identity. And I really think everybody is always searching for who am I and why am I here? There's a lot of advice out there in best-selling books and self-help manuals that is well-meaning but can actually be unhelpful, uh, telling us to look within. I also think there are temptations that we find in this new digital age to sort of project a version of ourselves that is sort of curated and sort of different than the version that we really are, the person that we really are. So Trevin comes back on the show to really help us walk through that. He's a very wise and he kind of walks through some of the modern thinking and also scripture to help set our hearts right and really points us to finding our identity in the fact that we are known by God and that we know God. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Trevin Wax. Glad to have back on the Way Home podcast, uh, my good friend uh, Trevin Wax. Trevin, thanks for joining me. I think this is like your third or fourth time on my podcast. Is it? Has it been three or four? I can only remember one or two, but it, it, it's kind of like like on Seinfeld or Friends or like whatever your show is. Like you have the main characters, and then you have kind of the the people that keep coming back because they're really good, and they end up being main characters. That's kind of where you are. Oh, that's really kind of you. But you've been doing this for a bunch of years, and if I've only been on a couple of times, and I don't know that that really fits, but <laughs> Re- recurring character. But anyways, wanted to have you back on uh, for a number of reasons. We're living through crazy times, right? Like 2020, I keep telling this to my kids. I'm like, kids, you are living through history. Like your kids and grandkids will ask you what it was like to live through 2020. So That's right. what, what's this time been like for you and your family? You know, it's, 
I, I think we're struggling with all the same things that other families with kids of different ages are struggling with. I mean, how, you know, initially it was, okay, how do we get to the rest of the school year, you know? Um, and how do we do this with different, with kids at different ages, different learning levels? How do we keep work going when work has to change and the way we do work has to change? And so that, that was initially it that I think what set in for a lot of people or, and I, I think we feel this to some extent too, is a little bit of a malaise because you just don't you just don't know how long things are going to be weird. You know, things are some things are a little back to normal, other things are not. So, but um, you know, working through that, trying to keep our our hearts focused on what's most important during that, I think has been um, you know both the challenge and the opportunity of a season like this. Yeah, you know, it it it, it occurred to me too that so much of our life in the West especially for folks like us that, you know, we live in the metro area, suburb area, but I think pretty much anybody, so much of our life in the West is dependent on certainty and normalcy and rhythms and routines that we kind of just sort of take for granted, going to work, going to the store. Okay. Like I got tickets for a concert. We're going to go here. Oh, we're going to go to this conference or or like, we're going to go to this basketball game or our kids, whatever, all this like society kind of runs, you know, in the background with all this stuff going on. And then you have this pandemic, which totally takes away all of our certainty, right? Like even going to church for, for most people, you go to church every week and they've been doing it for years and years and decades. And they don't even really think about it, except it's just a habit. So it's really forcing us to kind of be, to trust the Lord in a more pronounced way than we're used to. Right. Cause all of our certainty is taken, even about the little things. Right. Yeah. It's- it's not just certainty. I, I think it's also control, like mm-hmm. realizing that we are really not in control mm-hmm. like we think we are. Yeah. How interesting a virus that we cannot see can totally bring us to our knees, if you will, bring the most powerful governments to their knees. You know that old Rich Mullins song, We Are Not As Strong As We Think We Are? Yes. Now that that's a song about a relationship breaking down, but I've thought about the title of that song multiple times since this pandemic hit. It's just how true it is. Yeah. And I also wonder if it brings us a little closer to people who don't live in a majority or a country who don't live in a, you know, people who might live in developing countries or people who are like refugees where nothing is certain and everything's every day's a mystery. I mean, we're not even close to their existence. We have houses, we have internet, we have food. It's not that big of a hardship for most of us, but still just the uncertainty of it all, you know, it's interesting. So I wanted to just talk to you. You have this new book that's uh, coming out in October, I believe, called Rethink Yourself, The Power of Looking Up Before Looking In. When I was thinking about this project that that you have, it's very countercultural, right? Kind of the cultural ethos today is kind of look within, right? You have everything you need uh, inside of you and all that. So was this kind of a, what, what, what prompted you to write this book? Well, it actually started as a as a blog series. A lot of my ideas start as blogs mm-hmm. and then turn into books. Um, but I, I did a blog series a couple of years back about um, expressive individualism, which is a, a a term that refers to, it's been used for decades now, that refers to our society. When we say expressive individualism, what that means is it's the idea that the purpose of life is to uh, look deep within yourself, discover who you are, and whatever you find, you define you define yourself by your deepest desires, 
So like you look into yourself as an individual and then you express that to the world. That's the, the defining understanding of life for a lot of people in our, in our society. So I did a blog series about that. I used that term and I just, I talked about that for church leaders to say, Hey, this is what this mindset looks like in congregations and in churches and in culture and in society and in movies and books and TV shows. And we need to understand that this is the world we live in that look within yourself to find yourself. That's the purpose of life for a lot of people. And if we're going to minister faithfully in a world like that, we need to understand that's part of the cultural ethos that we are, that's all around us. That's where the book started. It started with that blog series. I'd, I'd heard from a number of church leaders who said they had printed out that series. They had discussed it with their staff. They were in conversations about that. But when I went to write the book, I, I, I felt a strong sense from the Holy Spirit that, the, that this was not supposed to be the book I was writing for the church leader but was for the, the book that a church leader could hand out to someone in their congregation or give to us a seeker or a skeptic or someone who's not even a, a believer yet that would explain some of these concepts, but without using big terms like that. And so it, in, in thinking through, how would, I, how would I talk to an unbeliever, for example, to show the difference between an expressive individualist way of thinking and the Bible's way of life how would I do that, not assuming any knowledge of philosophical terms like expressive individualism or Bible knowledge, for that matter? How would I start? Where would we start? Where would that conversation go? And that's how it began. It really became, for me, it forced me to explain these ideas and concepts in ways that anybody could understand them. And then try to bring the Bible's way of seeing these things and the Bible's way of seeing the purpose of life to explain that in a way that was inherently more beautiful, more attractive, more persuasive than the look in to find yourself understanding of the world that is so prevalent in our society. So you have this three-part taxonomy. First of all, let me just stop right now and just say, I love anybody that does anything in threes. Like I totally think in threes. I don't know what that means, but like- Hey, we're writing Trinitarians. And, we are Trinitarians. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm- that's what I'm telling myself. Like, you know, I think in threes when I preach, I'm always three points, you know, and it's just helpful. And I actually think one of the things I talk to about young writers is when they're putting phrases together just to have a series of threes is always good. But anyways, you have this taxonomy of look in, look around and look up. And I like that. So explain those three things. Uh, first, you know, in the book, I'm trying to explain, okay, what is the look in approach to life? And, and put simply, it's the approach to life where you see the purpose of life as I'm going to look in first. Priority is me. I'm looking inside my heart. I'm going to discover who I am. I'm going to define myself by my deepest desires. I got to find out what those, what do I want the most out of life? And then I'm going to look around to people around me to affirm and accept that way of life, accept my self-identity, who I've defined myself to be. And if I need a transcendent sort of a spiritual side to my life, then I will look up for some sort of divine, a divine dimension or divine affirmation of the person that I've discovered myself to be. I think that the look in approach to life that starts with looking in, then looks around for affirmation, then looks up for some a, a sort of spirituality. I think that's the dominant approach that most people just instinctively see in our society today. I think that's what people adopt un, un, uncritically without thinking about it, just because it's, it's the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in, right? It's the 
It's the the Disney movies that we watch and other things. So that's the first uh, the the first approach is looking in. Now, what I when when we talk about what's the look around approach, well, that's that's the priority that is true for people, most people throughout history, and for a lot of people around the world today, is you don't look in first, you look around first. The community defines who you are. The community's desires take precedent over yours desires, your desires. For most people throughout human history, people have not looked in to define themselves, they looked around to others to find out who they are, to be told who they are, basically. Uh, the look around approach is is dominant, and it starts with looking around, then looking up, generally to some sort of a sacred order that holds things together, that connects us with our ancestors or whatnot, and then perhaps looking in to within a, a more narrow frame, figure out what it is you want to do with the freedom that you have remaining. Uh, those are two dominant, very different ways of of thinking. The, the reason I, I don't spend a lot of time on the look around approach uh, because it's not as dominant in the West as it is in other parts of the world. But I bring it up just to, 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 to tell people, hey, this idea that you look in to find yourself and then to display yourself for other people, that's really unusual if you look at history in the rest of the world. Like what passes for common sense for you in the West is not common sense everywhere, right? right. So I introduced the look around approach to say, there's a whole other way of looking at this. It has its own problems too. But then there's one other approach and that's the one, the look up. Mm -hmm. approach, which is, I believe, the biblical way of looking at this, is that in order to find out the purpose, significance, and meaning of life, you look up first to God. He's the one who defines you, not your, not yourself. The desires you discover within yourself, you are happiest when you bring those desires in line with his desires. You look up to God first. Then you look around the community of faith that you belong to. And then you look in and become the truest version of yourself that you could possibly be the best version of yourself, the most Christ-like version of yourself, because that's who God always intended you to be. That's really good. So I have I have some thoughts because I just love the three things that you have. You know, I think Christians have spent a lot of time on the look-in part, right? Like I think a lot of us pastors and leaders will warn our people kind of against the sort of, you know, self-expressive individualism, the kind of Oprah, you know, you, you can do this, you got the power to do this. I actually think most people today are in the middle one look around. And that's my thesis because even when we encourage, just, just correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm just throwing this idea, this out. Even when we're, we think we're looking inward and being individualistic and living our own truth. But it's interesting when people live their own truth, they're usually living the same truth that that affirmative community is living. So it seems to me people want that affirmation of the community. And, and I think this is especially the case in an age of social media and an age of where we're all connected in this way. I think of like the narratives that form on Twitter or Facebook in particular tribes or communities that we have to be for or against something, or we have to speak out on something because we're looking around and everybody else is doing it. That's what the community is doing. And we want that affirmation in the community. It seems to me that people want to be seen as being on the right side or being seen as the right kind of person, right? So even among Christians, this this is really prevalent. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? So I I, I don't I don't agree that look around is more dominant for us than look in as far as pri- terms of priority because I think I still think we look in first. But you're absolutely right. 
there is, and this is one of the things I point out in the book, as much as you like to think that you are looking deep within yourself and that you're going to be true to whoever you are, no matter what anyone else says, you don't really do that. You look around, like you said, you look around for affirmation. So even if looking around comes second in terms of priority, the way that we think through this, it's indispensable. You're definitely going to be looking around at, at, at some level. And so I think social media exacerbates this. I think social media actually makes it easier to reinvent yourself multiple times. So not only to look down inside to define yourself, but if you don't like the person you've defined over time, you can redefine yourself online. You can kind of be reborn in some ways online because you're right. You, we crave affirmation and we crave acceptance of other people. And so even, and, and this is one thing I, I point out in the book is that even if you think, you know what, I'm going to be true to myself, no matter what anyone else says, I'm unique, I'm special. If you talk to that person, you find that they're defining themselves over against other people, which means they're looking around in order to find out who they're not going to be as well. You know, so it's like, you can't get away from it. You're going to look around. It's wired into you as a human being to crave community, to look around. And so I, this is actually one of the problems I think that you're hitting on with the whole look in approach to life being the priority is that you may say looking around comes second, but looking around has a lot more of an impact on what you think you're finding when you look in than you really realize. Mm -hmm. And so on that, I, I agree with that. I think that that's a, especially in a, in a, in a, in an era where we can display ourselves so easily online and create our online persona and whatnot, mm -hmm. that that is a, a a huge challenge, I think, for for us in this day. Yeah, and it, it, you know what I'm what I'm getting at too is you you got it exactly, and I talk about this in my book that you can curate a version of yourself. A lot of the reason we do things that we do online, I think there's deeper reasons for it, right? So when people are argumentative jerks online. You know, there's a reason for that. They want to be seen by a tribe as being a certain way, or that you know they're dissatisfied with something that's lacking in your life in real life, so that you kind of project that online. And or, you know, Instagram, you can curate this version of a super dad or super mom. Or there's all sorts of ways we do this. And then you know, the looking around piece is really prevalent. Like, I can't be out of step with this kind of this community or this community, right? So you have maybe a majority community that is saying. I have to speak out and I have to make a statement and I have to be seen as being right here. But then, then there's a reactive community to that. That's the contrarian community. That's doing the same thing. <laughs> that's kind of like, right. I can't be seen as this. I have to be seen as this. So it, I, I, to me, it's interesting. And, and I love the fact that you frame it, that when we first look up, it enables us to better look around and look inward. And it reminds me a little bit of Kurt Thompson in his book, the soul of shame. He talks about the most important thing is knowing God and being known by God. And, and, and once you settle that, you are free to be who you are. It, and it's, it's crazy because you would think I'm freest when I look in first, right? And I determine for myself who I am and who I'm going to be. Yeah. Like that's what's really free. That's Our society has bought into that notion of freedom that you, de you decide. They're not the community. No one else decides for you who you're going to be. Not even God, really. You decide mm -hmm. for yourself who you're going to be. And then you expect everyone else to get in line. And, and, and be okay with it. Our society is, assumes that's freedom. The Bible is very countercultural and very counterintuitive, I think, in saying, no, true freedom is when you come to realize who you were created to be, that you do not define yourself, you are already defined. 
by someone. Once you realize and you accept that definition, who God says you are, it relativizes what you might think for yourself. It relativizes what the community might say. And then suddenly you're no longer trapped in with the ever-changing desires of your heart that are all over the place that may make you think you're a certain way one day and may think you're something else another day. You're also freed from the trap of other people's approval and having to live for it all the time because you already, you, you, you have a settledness about you because of that. And so we live in a society that would look at the biblical way and say, you're going to let God define who you are. That's slavery. And we would experience, we think we would experience it as slavery. But when you actually step into that way of thinking, what looks like slavery is actually truest freedom because that's who we were made to be anyway. That's when we actually are, 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 are fulfilling the purpose for which God created us. Mm. Yeah. And I want to dig in a little bit. We got a little bit more time, but I want to dig in a little bit on looking inward and looking outward. Sometimes our tendency is to just, you know, we, we've, we've talked about that this idea of looking inward and finding your own truth is an unbiblical concept, right? So we're, we're quick to kind of blast that individualism. And the same thing with the looking around that there's this, there's this kind of cultural narrative and cultural way of being that at times Christians have to look at and say, no, actually that's, that's not the right way. The Bible, you know, calls it to be countercultural, but it, it does seem that in each of those faulty ways of looking, there's an element of, of truth that if we're not careful, we might miss, right? Like we shouldn't look inward first, but like what you said, after we've you know looked upward, God does want us to be the best version of ourselves that he created us to be. So it's not entirely wrong. We're just, we just, it's distorted. And, and then in the thing with looking around, we might look around and say, a Christian might say, there is a way of being in the world. There is a way that we should conform to. It's just not this one over here, right? It's this one. So explain you know, when as pastors and church leaders, as we're working through this, we don't want to be quick to just dismiss these things without really pointing to, to the, to me, all these, all these longings and people point to something better, right? It's not that they're, the longings themselves are bad, but they're directed in the wrong way. Does that make sense? Do you, do you yeah, know what I'm saying? I, I, uh, I agree with that. I thought, in fact, one of the things I write about in the book is the fact that there's something very true about emphasizing our uniqueness as human beings, um, our, the sense of specialness we have as being created in the image of God. There's something true about individuality that is, is very important. No, no approach to life can catch on with a large number of people over time that isn't connected at least to some kind of truth, <laughs> okay? Like everything, it's like the look-in approach. There are truths there that would be in line with, with scripture. Generally speaking though, every other version except for Christianity leads to a distortion. And, you know, Augustine would say we, our loves have been disordered, have been distorted, have been misdirected. And that's what is true of the look in and the look around approaches to life. It's not that there's not truth in those approaches. There is, otherwise they wouldn't appeal to so many people. They wouldn't appeal to our deepest longings. It's that in, in the appeal to the longings, when we pursue those, to have those longings fulfilled in those different ways of life, we, we come up short because it's not the order of priority that the Bible, that we were created to, to, to pursue. So, um, so I do think, it, I think it's important for us as pastors to not simply rail against a look-in approach, mm-hmm. but to gently and carefully point out problems with it and then try to show how Jesus is better. How is the gospel mm-hmm. better? 
You know, it's not simply that you're you're saying the look-in approach is evil and wrong. It's you're 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 picking it apart to say, well, here's probably some areas it gets right, but look at these issues with it. Look at how it doesn't actually work in the end, and then let me show you how the Bible's way offers a solution. That's my approach. I think that's the approach of an apologist. Uh, the apologetic approach is not simply to say this is false, this is true, but also to say the gospel is better. It's better. It ultimately is going to satisfy longings that you are trying to get at through these other avenues. Yeah, and just as as we as we wrap up here, I want to have you give a word to pastors or church leaders who are you know regularly trying to think through this with their congregation, and how how should pastors be teaching and preaching in a way that offer people from the scriptures what people really need. What I love about what you're doing in this book and this approach is it's not just a straight blasting, you know, this idea of live your own truth, which is wrong. But you're saying essentially that's not the most fulfilling way to live. That's not how you were created and designed by your creator to live. That like God has a much better version of you and a much better way for you to live than than you could desire. So if you're counseling pastors and church leaders, what would you say to them in, in terms of, you know, walking through this? You know, I, in hearing you ask that question, Dan, I, I'm recalling, uh, I had a conversation late last year. I was with some friends and had a conversation with Tim Keller about some of the needs of the church in this generation. And one of the things Keller has been saying for several years, um, and that was part of this conversation was that um, if you look at what catechisms were meant to do in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, you know, uh, Protestant catechisms were designed to present not just Christian truth, but to present a reformational orthodoxy over against Catholicism. That was the point. That's what the, the, the old catechisms were doing. It was an inculcating of Christian truth over against a, a, a what was seen as, you know, as, as, as not being true to the scriptures. Ke- what Keller has mentioned and what I has really got me thinking about what we can do in our generation is he said, you know, right now, if we're going to really catechize the next generation, teach the next generation Christian truth, we need to be able to, it's not just that we lay out, here's what Christians believe, but that we lay out, here's what Christians believe over against the dominant view that is most likely to lead them astray in society, which for us today is not Catholicism. It's something like expressive individualism or different views of freedom or different views of you know, all sorts of things. And so this, this book is, I hope will be a, an aid to pastors in helping them see when they're communicating, it's, it's not enough to simply say, this is what the Bible says, but to also say, this is what the Bible says. And here, it, here is how it both affirms and contradicts what you hear out in society, what the world says. That's preaching that really catches the listener because it, it, it's not just an application to your life as much as it's a it's presenting the Bible as a whole different way of thinking and acting and living and doing. And so I hope that this book will be an aid in that, in that sense of us, not just presenting Christian truth as it is, but presenting Christian truth over against lesser ways of living, uh, ways of living that would ultimately lead us to uh, lead us astray, lead us away from happiness instead of toward happiness in Christ. And, and, and I think that's, that's where we want to be as apologists where we have a winsome, persuasive case for Christianity over against some of the the other ways of life that are on offer in our world. That's really good. Well, listen, I want 
uh, everyone to to pay attention to this book. It's called Rethink Yourself by Trevin Wax, and it's available at your favorite retailers. And just really encourage everyone to read everything Trevin writes. I've been reading Trevin's work for a long time, a long time before you were like a thing. So appreciative. None of, of us are really you. a thing, Dan. Well, if you only look look within, you'll you'll see that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But anyways, we'll have links in the show notes. But Trevin, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at @dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash danielmdarling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. Broadcasters.